This is The Game Show with Max Sussman, brought to you by The Gaming Stadium, Canada's leader in esports. Welcome to The Game Show, presented by The Gaming Stadium on Sportsnet 650. I'm your host, Max Sussman, and today we're going to continue with what I am now going to retroactively call Business Month. Uh, We're going to move a little bit further away from the the playing field, I guess, itself, and we're going to do that with Neil Duffy. Neil's been involved behind the scenes with Canadian esports for years, Uh, and um, while this is one of my least favorite, most overused phrases in the world, we're just going to kind of pick his brain today. We're going to do that right now on the game show on Sportsnet 650. He is the chief revenue officer at eFuse. He was the VP at the Collegiate Star League for several years, then a C-level of executive there as well. Uh, he sits on the board at Tidal Gaming, which is the the the, the umbrella group over Lazarus Esports. Uh, and our good friend Spiro Curry called him one of the godfathers of Canadian esports. He is Neil Duffy. Neil, thanks for joining me here on the game show. Max, thanks very much for having me. Thrilled to be here and uh, big fan of Sportsnet. And I really appreciate you uh, welcome, welcome, welcoming me as a guest tonight. Now, normally, Neil, I start this with a new guest the same way. But I'll be honest, I've never been more uncertain of whether or not uh, there would be an answer because you're such you're so on the business side of things. But this is the question. We'll see if you have an answer. Do you have a gamer tag? If so, what is it? Yeah, I, I certainly do. I, I love to play uh, um, Rocket League or, or PGA 2K, um, NHL, FIFA with my buddies. So um, I, I play on PlayStation. I'm on PlayStation 5 right now. So I have a gamer tag, and it's a nickname that my friends gave to me many years ago. It's Mickey Jones. Where did that come from? Uh, we were playing games together in the Dominican at a, one of the hotel casinos, um, and there was an offshoot of a game that I just really enjoyed playing, and it was an Indiana Jones-themed game, and then we, we couldn't help but laugh when we realized that it was a knockoff, and it was Mickey Jones. <laughs> so uh, from there, they just, they just called me Mickey Jones for the rest of the trip, and you know, it's good for a laugh. always brings back some good memories of us uh, being That's down, a- uh, in the Dominican together. Now, whenever somebody's called the godfather of some, something, uh, I think that begs the question, why do, why do you think Spiro introduced you to me like that as the go- one of the godfathers of Canadian esports? Well, for your listeners who, who can't see me on video right now, uh, maybe it's because I've got uh, the salt and pepper in my beard. I got a, a bunch of gray in my beard. So maybe he <laughs> thinks I'm older than I am. But now that's a, that's a title that I certainly um, don't deserve. Uh, I've, I've definitely played a... A prominent role over the last decade. You know, I've been in the space since 2014 is when I really joined it. Um, but just I've been around a lot of a lot of companies. I've really tried to grow it from the amateur um, to the scholastic, um, from some companies entering on the capital market side, on the content, um, and then really from the academic side too. Most recently, I was a professor of esports at Durham College, and um, I, I just really love being around the space and giving back. There's there's a time and a place for everything. And I think we're so young in the industry that I just want to be able to get to know all the major players. I'm still mid thirties. So, you know, anybody calling me uh, the Godfather is very much undeserved. Uh, maybe in 30 years I can look back and, and, you know, I'd be honored if people would consider me a player at that time. But for now it's, you know, I've, I've built and sold a few businesses. I've uh, sit on the board of a company that's 
um, done extremely well. At one point was the winningest Fortnite team uh, in the history of the world after the Fortnite World Cup. Uh, being a professor and and you know I like to go out to events. I like to meet grassroots organizers. I, I like to meet uh, professional players, and I've just had a lot of fun along the way. So I don't deserve that title, but I'm honored that Spiro would even mention uh, that name alongside me. All right, I've got an unplanned follow-up. Professor of esports. What is, I'm sure the majority of people listening to this go immediately. What is that? So what does that mean? Yeah, and listen, that's a that's a great question. Five, six, seven years ago, it would have been an absolute absurd thing to think that people could be taking an academic uh, postgraduate diploma course and be getting it in esports. But you know, in 1970, you would have thought people taking sport management was probably not really a great path. And then the business of sport evolved. And all of a sudden you look around and it's not just professional athletes and team owners, but now you've got every, every job under the sun that people are eligible for, whether it's HR, whether it's marketing, whether it's sponsorship or partnership sales, um, creative, graphic, um, you know, announcers, all of that kind of stuff in the world of sport. And truthfully, esports mimics that, you know, from the conversations that I've had, there's over a hundred different career paths of people that can get into gaming and esports. Um, whether it's with publishers or, or game devs, whether it's with teams, whether it's with schools, whether it's with other organizations. And, um, you know, we're really proud to be able to provide that path for young Canadian students who are looking to have a, have a, a hands-on approach. And, you know, it's in the School of Business at Durham College. I actually sit on the uh, Program Advisory Council for three different programs, Durham College, which is where I was a professor, Lambton College, and then St. Clair College. And they all offer... Um, post-secondary diplomas in esports. So I think over the next five, 10 years, you'll see that become a really strong path where people will get the technical skills and the hands-on skills to be, you know, uh, employable right out the gate. Um, so it's been fun. It's been exciting to try and craft a new stream of, of academia, especially for someone like me who is not an overly, uh, an overachiever in school, let's call it. It's, it's been fun to kind of take a step back and say, what do we actually need to teach the students to make them and really attractive candidates to employers on day one after they graduate. So uh, it's been fun. That's interesting you say that because I mean I went to broadcast school and those skills should translate really easily to certain stuff in esports. Yet and still, I had to figure out Twitch and the and and the the back end of like how to stream and stuff like that. That is a broadcast method that just wasn't you know wasn't even addressed in my traditional broadcast school. We're talking to. Professor Neil Duffy here on the game show on Sportsnet 650. Um, do, you, do you ever get called that? How often do you get given that as a title, Professor Neil Duffy? Well, well I, I had a small <laughs> cohort of students this year, um, and my presentations, I got laughed at because I shared a presentation, kind of an eSports 101, and it said Professor Neil Duffy. So my colleagues have made fun of me for that. <laughs> um, all of the students eventually after the, week, the first week of class, they just called me Neil, and they yeah. refer to me as Neil. Um, I think, you know, your, your, your listeners, they can't see me, but I'm wearing a hoodie and a hat right now. So not necessarily a traditional, uh, professor who would wear no the tweed, tweed jacket. jacket with the elbow yeah. packet, uh, elbow <laughs> patches, but it's a new age, right? People can learn mm. the, the internet has democratized learning in such a fantastic way. Um, that I think the, the hierarchy of how education used to be delivered, you know, you can blow that up and, and now you can get a great education through YouTube and, um, Coursera and all of these, all of these other outlets. Not, that's not to say there isn't a place for for universities and colleges, um, but I just think you can learn a lot through the internet right now. So tell me, uh, tell me your story. Then you, you mentioned, you know, being being into gaming as a, as a younger man. How do you 
go from just a, a guy who's into gaming into esports on the business side? How did, what was that path like? Yeah, that's I uh, appreciate that question. I think, you know, I had a nonlinear journey. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people look at me and say, well, what did you study? What business school did you go to? And, you know, where did you where did you get your first job? And then how did that lead you to be, you know, the chief revenue officer of a business? And that's that's not at all the way my journey went when I was at university. I went to the University of Western Ontario, um, which is in London, really great school. Um, loved my time there, but I took history and geography. So a social science degree. Um, and when I came out, my friends and I started a student travel company. It was called S-Trip. Um, eventually, breakaway tours and campus vacations all joined the company. And I led sales uh, for that business for six years. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And we went on a lot of great trips all around the world. Um, but what I understood from that was that youth and student marketing was an area that a lot of big businesses just didn't understand. Yeah, and always- you know, when you think of 2007, 2008, 2009, when I came out of school, um, social media was really on the rise. And to be a social media expert, you just really had to understand how to set up a Facebook page and maybe a Twitter handle. So we harnessed the the energy and the power of social media, creating Facebook groups, when it was actually an honor to be invited into a Facebook group. Um, in those days are long gone now. Now it's, yeah. now it's a nuisance if people even still make them. But we would create these experiences, these travel experiences for students um, in college and university where we would get two and 3,000 people that would be traveling on a trip because we would create these groups and there was that fear of missing out. So we really you know, revolutionized uh, group travel from the youth and student perspective, built the business up you know, from a concept in, in you know, 2004, 2005 when it launched um, to be doing about $40 million top line revenue in 2012. We were at one point named Canada's, Canada's 11th fastest growing company. And what I'm most proud of was actually we were the number one B2C, business to consumer business in that in that group. The rest of the other ones were B2B, business to business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were on the the um, Inc. Uh, top 200 um, for three years running, which we're really proud of. And then in 2014, I had invested in a business called Difference Capital, um, and they were the lead investor behind Virgin Gaming. So I happened to be at an investor day and um, coincidentally, I sat down uh, for the lunch. There was a free lunch, so I wasn't going to miss it. Um, I sat down next to the gentleman who was the CEO of Virgin Gaming and we just got talking and he asked, you know, what's a little bit about me? I told him about youth and student travel and, and how I would, you know, target students on campus and create groups and awareness and promotion. And he said, okay, listen, you're going to come work for me and we're going to create the NCAA of gaming. So in 2013, when these conversations, you know, first started being had, that was an absolutely insane idea. Um, there was nothing that existed. There wasn't a single varsity or scholarship program in in the U.S. or Canada. And now today, um, you know, we're really proud to say, or I'm really proud to say, over the last six years, I've had a over 1,800 schools participate in in leagues that I've organized, over 100,000 students, and uh, and, and 12,000 teams. So we created the NCAA. It took us quite a few years to do it, but I joined a company at that time called Virgin Gaming in 2014. In 2015, uh, we went out and we acquired a business called the Collegiate Star League, CSL. And if your listeners um, are familiar, UBC and SFU are two of the most legendary programs um, Mm -hmm. in the Collegiate Star League, being multiple-time champions. I mean, games like League of Legends, Dota, um, StarCraft, 
Uh, Curtis Ling, uh, Aoi 2000, was a former StarCraft champion from UBC, and he went on to notoriously win the International Five as a part of uh, Evil Geniuses, so the biggest tournament in the world at that time, uh, proud UBC alum. Um, so I ran that business from 2015 to 2020, and then in the middle of the pandemic, we were able to, uh, we sold the business, I should say, in 2015 to Cineplex for $15 million for 80%. They bought the remaining 20% the next year for another, you know, I think it was three and a quarter million. And then we sold the business again in 2020 from Cineplex into a private equity firm in the US. And then when my contract was up at the end of the year, I left to go pursue my new job, uh, which is at eFuse, which is a, a tremendous company um, and, and new and emerging startup. The company you sold the Cineplex, that was World Gaming Network, right? World Gaming Network and the Collegiate yeah. Star League. Yeah, they both were under the same so umbrella. Is that that's when Cineflex started running those the scene points tournaments, it must have been, right? Because that was always branded World Gaming Network. That, that's right. We started doing a lot of tournaments in Cineplex theaters, uh, actually right downtown Vancouver. And we had some we had some really great games, Call of Duty. I believe we did uh, some NHL stuff. Uh, we, we did a uh, Uncharted <laughs> 4 tournament, which, man, Big ambitions just didn't go the way we hoped. We did some <laughs> Rocket League, Rocket League tournaments, but we learned a lot. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I thought in 2015 the hypothesis of getting cinemas, which were underutilized brick and mortar venues, to be mm-hmm. transitioned into esports venues, was going to to be a big hit. And you know what? Looking back now, six years later, I can just say it didn't it didn't play out the way that any of us hoped. Esports wasn't ready for brick and mortar venues in 2015 they're barely ready for it now but i think we're in a much better spot when you've got groups like nerd street gaming down in the u.s and and belong gaming who are opening up uh, a lot of venues i think it's now much more appropriate to be trying to transition old spaces into esports uh, arenas or stadiums or whatever you want to call it um so you know take your swings and uh sometimes you miss but cineplex was the best partner we ever, ever could have asked for and they were so supportive of Canadian amateur esports, and I think we're better off as a country for what Cineplex, uh, World Gaming, and CSL did. Yeah, I thought I, I expected that to hit harder than it did. I remember seeing that just as a you know consumer at the theaters, and I was like, oh, that's like a really good idea. And then yeah, I mean, I played I played in a couple of the Rocket League tournaments, but yeah, it didn't it didn't hit the way that I thought it would. We're t- we're, we're talking to Neil Duffy here on the game show on Sportsnet six fifty, the chief revenue officer at Efuse. Uh, and we were just talking about the, the Collegiate Star League as well, which he used to uh, run. Let's say he used to be he used to be a high up guy, there, C level C level executive. Now we've talked a lot on this show over over the, the two years I've been doing it, like about the about how the infrastructure in traditional sports um, fosters the feeding of talent into professional ranks. You know, yeah, I always use baseball in America as the perfect example. You've got little league, and then good little leaguers play for their high school teams. Good high schoolers get college offers or they get drafted right away and good college players get drafted um, or they sign minor league contracts, you know, and there's scouts at every level that know where to go and there's infrastructure there. Given your career, I know I, I would I would bet my house that you've thought about this before. What's uh, what's your vision for what that kind of infrastructure would look like as applied to esports? kind of a top down vertical infrastructure like that or more of a pyramid, actually, is how it functions. But. Well, I, I think you're, you'd be right to bet your house. I've spent countless years thinking about how we can improve this model. Um, it, it, has, it has always been um, by luck. You know, you look at the, the group um, that Luminosity really became famous for, which was their CSGO team. 
And the gentleman who uh, who founded them was just, I think he happened to be watching Twitch and he came across the Brazilian team who um, had been on a bit of a winning streak and it was between them and an Australian group. And, you know, fortunately for him, he picked the Brazilian guys and and um, as a result, Luminosity was really born and they became the, the business that they are. And, you know, after a year or two, he sold that business over to, um, I think it was SK Gaming and, you know, made a bunch of money and that allowed him to go out and expand his business to find more more talent. And, and one of those uh, next generation of talents actually happened to be a young guy by the name of Tyler Blevins, you know, who's commonly known as Ninja. And that was, that's what really grew that business from a one-man organization to be the international powerhouse that it is today. The, the infrastructure is, is very flawed in the world as we see it right now, but there's a lot of people putting a lot of thought into this. And this can be from K to 12. So the grade school system, how do you develop talent as early as, you know, the, the early grade school years of whether that's Roblox or Minecraft and just getting them in the competitive mindset and participatory mindset, um, having leagues that are, that are fun. They can be competitive. They can be social. They can be casual. Um, but having uh, acclimatizing users to participate. And then from there, the same way that you look at hockey. Uh, your baseball reference is spot on, but hockey is the same. You've got, you know, triple A, double A, single A, uh, B house, et cetera. Um, and people will find their way up that chain as they progress. And those who are truly elite will, will, you know, go to the top. And those who are there for a more social experience will participate and have fun with their friends along the way, whether that's a rec league, a high school league, uh, or a, a, a casual league, it doesn't necessarily matter. But I think we'll see that over the next 10 years. Uh, so K to 12 is going to be big. Um, primarily the high school side of that's going to be big. Um, social social leagues are going to be important. The collegiate ecosystem is going to be very important. And then defining what the pro league looks like and what the the tier in between collegiate and pro. This is the, the key difference between esports and traditional sports, I think, on a player level. How do you account for the reality that quote-unquote pro-level players can be as young as 11, 12 years old in terms of that so infrastructure that, fostering good, kind of good professional players? I, I think there needs to be a minimum threshold from the publisher. And you mm-hmm. see it with um, Fortnite, for example, the young guy um, from Face Clan, High Sky. Uh, I think he was 13 when he signed, and he was ineligible to play in the Fortnite World Cup. Although he was a truly top talent, um, he just couldn't play. So I think giving kids a chance to be kids before we push them into, you know, uh, a competition is really important. So whether that's 13, whether that's 14, um, I, I'm a big advocate of that. The same can be said, though, with professional soccer. When you think of Lionel Messi, True. who was plucked from Argentina at 11 or 12, or, you know, I, I don't even think it was as late as 13, but he was over in, uh, in Barcelona uh, competing for their junior squads. I think... Uh, naturally, as long as the parents and the guardians and the system are in place uh, to be able to protect the talent and not have them, um, you know, push too hard and overexposed, um, we'll do a, we'll do a good job creating thresholds of what the minimum age should be, uh, creating the standards of how long people can participate, whether that's in practice or competition, um, and just good governance from the leagues and from the publishers and hopefully from teams and orgs, and then also of course the parents are going to play a big role. You see a lot of streamers that are 15, 16 years old who, you know, go to school and maybe by the time they come home, you know, they stream for seven or eight or 10 hours um, from three until midnight. And, you know, that's concerning too. You don't want to have somebody burn out at the age of 15. 
and you want to make sure that they're well-rounded individuals who are getting an education and they can pursue their passion when they're a little bit more um, uh, prepared to do so. There's another, there's another kind of, uh, I don't know about problem, but there's another like hurdle that any kind of scholastic approach to this is going to always have, which is simply getting buy-in from schools and parents that this is like having a hockey team. How do you, how, how do you make that pitch? That's easy for me. It, where the eyeballs go, the money follows. I've said that for years. Um, it's really easy to see why schools, specifically in the U.S., do football and basketball programs. There's eyeballs on the football program. There's eyeballs on the basketball program. And there's a lot of sponsorship and partnership dollars that come with that. And what's the best thing about the University of Michigan football team or the University of Texas football team or Duke or North Carolina basketball teams? They're marketing vehicles. They're the best marketing vehicles for the school. They create, um, they create legacy. They create fandom. They create passionate experiences, and they create moments where uh, where alumni will get together and celebrate what that school meant to them. And you're going to see that with esports. Um, you're going to see this next generation of talent. You know, they probably don't care as much about stick and ball sports being, you know, football, basketball, hockey, golf, etc. But they care about their esports club. You just saw one of the first big dominoes to fall a few weeks ago. Bobby Kotick, uh, the CEO of Activision, donated $4 million to the University of Michigan esports program. That doesn't mm-hmm. sound like a lot of money uh, when you think of boosters and alumni, but $4 million can go a long way to creating a really top-tier program at the University of Michigan. And why that's so exciting for a guy like me is because when you look at the programs that have dominated year in, year out for the past you know, half decade, you're looking at Robert Morris, which is the first program to introduce uh, varsity sports scholarships. You look at UC Irvine, you look at Maryville, um, you look at you know UBC and FSU are great examples. Um, but those schools are not necessarily always known for their athletics. But a University of Michigan that has the facilities, that has the training, that has the alumni um, to really become a powerhouse, when they put their money behind it, you know what's going to happen next? Ohio State is going to follow. Uh, yep. Penn State's going to follow, Wisconsin, Texas, Alabama, uh, USC, and beyond. So we're about to enter the golden age of collegiate esports uh, when boosters start coming in. And a million-dollar check here and a million-dollar check there can go a really far way um, when schools don't actually have to put out any money to run the program, but they're actually making money. Then you're going to see mass adoption from all of the major programs that esports is their best friend, and esports is going to be in our lifetime, the third biggest sport on college campuses behind football and basketball. I was just about to say, now with me, with Michigan spooling up a $4 million esports program, how long until Ohio, somebody at Ohio State decides they need a $5 million esports program? <laughs> immediately. The answer yeah, is immediately. Yeah, it's already happened they probably. Are, they already have their facilities up and running. Uh, I've got a little bit of inside knowledge because eViews, the great company that I work for now, is based out of Columbus, Ohio, and Columbus mm. is uh, is the home to the Ohio State University. So we know intimately how um, how how broad their ambitions are, and they're going to go bold because at the end of the day, going to Ohio State means you want to get a really great education. That's number one. But number two is you always want to whoop uh, Michigan at anything you do, whether that's education, whether that's basketball, whether that's football. Um, or any other extracurricular activities that the students may get up to. 
After the break, more with Neil Duffy from EFUSE here on The Game Show, sponsored by The Gaming Stadium on Sportsnet 650. Stadium, Canada's first esports arena, and Canada's leader in online esports tournaments. The only place to play in local tournaments for whatever game you're great at. Online tournaments all week long with all your favorite games like Fortnite, Call of Duty, Valorant, TFT, Rocket League, and more. At Canada's leader in esports, visit thegamingstadium.com for more information. Welcome back to The Game Show with Max Sussman, brought to you by The Gaming Stadium, Canada's leader in esports. Welcome back to The Game Show, presented by The Gaming Stadium. I'm your host, Max Sussman. Let's get right back into my chat with Neil Duffy here on Sportsnet 650. All right, so we're, if you're looking at building the NCAA of esports, um, I think that a lot of people would acknowledge that the NCAA itself is a deeply flawed organization, uh, which always has led me to this question. How do you start the NCAA of, of, of esports while keeping the actual NCAA as far away from this as possible? I think we would welcome anybody in collegiate esports would welcome a conversation with the NCAA. I think they get a, a really tough time for what they do. Um, and a lot of it is merited. You know, when you look at what happened during the men's and women's basketball tournament this year, um, with one weight room being, you know, world-class and the other weight room looking like it was from a, a holiday Inn. um, the NCAA has a lot of flaws, but they also hold a lot of power and a lot of influence. And at the end of the day, their, their goal um, is to create better student experiences for student athletes. So I, I personally haven't had conversations with the NCAA. I know that some, some schools have, some conferences have, um, potentially some other leagues have. But my goal would be to have the NCAA involved at some point. The, the challenge that they're going to face is that the industry is not going to wait for them. And mm-hmm. that's not, they're not going to like that. What the NCAA is going to like a lot is that there's going to be money to be made off competitive gaming and esports on campus. So they will get involved. Mark my words, they will be involved at oh, some point. They're gonna there's no way to sure. keep them out. But what they, can't, what they can't do is limit someone's ability to be a student athlete um, and also monetize themselves. The name image likeness stuff that's happening around traditional sports is a fascinating debate. And something that I think is is an archaic uh, institution that I'm really happy to see that it it's being overturned. When you look at how anyone anyone and everyone can be a content creator through platforms like Twitch, YouTube, Facebook Gaming, or beyond, and monetize their stream or monetize their vods or compete in local tournaments or national tournaments, it doesn't matter. It's it's uh, an institution that. In esports, we've grown up competing, whether it's money matches at a Smash tournament or whether it's uh, you know competing in the Call of Duty Challenger League 
NBA 2K League and also being a student athlete at the same time. Where I'm fascinated is how will they come in and govern, if at all, um, and also let the authenticity of the space remain true. So if a student is a participant in the NBA 2K League and they also happen to attend you know, Columbia University in New York and they play for the Knicks Gaming League or Knicks Gaming Team, um, you know, how, how will the NCAA have that conversation? And there's no perfect answer. I mean, yeah, that's that was I mean, you 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 hit on what my primary concern is, which is that their traditional student athlete model just will not work here. People will not work. The be- if, if they try to apply that, you'll just all the best players will just not play in the NCAA. One of the things I love is that some some uh, professional orgs have already had discussions that if somebody comes to them at 16, 17, 18 um, and they choose to forego college. Um, to participate in their team, that they will actually then subsidize them if and when the time comes that that individual wants to go back and attend a university or college. Mm-hmm. So I That's love the, the proactive initiative. You see really great um, orgs like Team Liquid, Evil Geniuses. Um, they're, out, they're out front of this and trying to adopt uh, collegiate programs to make the fans of tomorrow. Because if you develop a really great fandom for EG or C9 or Team Liquid when you're 17 and you're in your first year of college or 18, um, you're more likely to carry on and be a fan of theirs for life. Indeed. We're talking to Neil Duffy, CRO of eFuse here on the game show on Sportsnet 650. Let's talk about eFuse. Give me the elevator pitch. What is eFuse the app? Why do we need it? Well, eFuse is a is such a, a great business. It's more than an app. We are a social media platform. Um, we've been dubbed by our followers as the LinkedIn for gamers. So We look at it as the destination for gamers to meet, compete, and get discovered. So when you think about what that means is you break it down into three three verticals. So you can meet. So you come to the platform, you sign up, you've got a social media. uh, It's a portfolio. So that's where you can post about yourself, about your your stats, about your work history, about your likes and interests and passions. So uh, we've got almost 600,000 users on the platform in the last, uh, a, in the last year Whoa. who have decided to come and, and join eFuse um, because they, wanna, they want a like-minded place to find other passionate people. You can uh, compete. We host some of the best tournaments in the industry, most notably our arena. Um, so Arena Warzone, our Women of the Arena, our co-ed cups, our so- show matches. Uh, we just announced today a Women of the Arena event, which is a tournament geared towards all women. We're doing it in connection with version uh, one, which is um, the ownership group from the Minnesota Rocker. Um, And that's taking place at the end of this month. I think it's a a $10,000 prize pool approximately. And we're having some of the best uh, influencers, content creators, and gaming celebrities uh, uh, compete. Really excited for that. And um, so we do all kinds of tournaments. Just last week, we did something called the TP Trials. And TP for those of you who don't know, is a former world champion in Call of Duty. And he came to us and said, I just want to have a really great tournament with a bunch of friends. I'll put up $10,000 <laughs> and uh, and let's see what we can do. So we got a bunch of team captains and everybody comp- competed in Warzone. And at the end of the day, I just got the numbers from one of my colleagues. Um, we had over 25 million impressions for that day, but most importantly, 2.27 million views. Um, so we were averaging concurrently about 60,000 views for the duration of his eight-hour stream. We had OG <clears throat> OG Pickle and TP casting the event. It was just a lot of fun. So we do influencer events. We do amateur events. Um, we do scholastic events, whether it's high school or collegiate. And then um, the other thing that we are really proud of is we're the place where you can get discovered. 
So last year, over 23,000 people found uh, a life-changing opportunity through our Opportunities Portal. And when I say that, it can be a job, full-time job, part-time job, internship, volunteer position. Um, you can get a job in the gig economy. So as a graphic designer, as a, as a video editor. Um, so we want to be that central hub. If you're already on our platform uh, because it's a, your social media of choice, how can we connect you to, to jobs, to organizations, um, to places where you can get that first foot in the door in gaming and esports? And I think that's what our secret sauce is. If we want to have over 100,000 people get an opportunity to refuse this year. We're well on our way to do so. And all you need is a break sometimes. So if you can get a part-time job with you know, Team Liquid, for example, and that turns into you know, a contract position that then turns into a full-time job, you know, we want to have those stories because that's how we get fans uh, of the platform and that's how we change a lot of lives along the way. So that's eFuse in a nutshell. You just described what eFuse is right now. What do you? What role do you see uh, eFuse playing uh, in the industry as a whole five, ten years down the road? I think we're going to be a major player. The, the, the team that we've got, I would love for us to have five million users on the platform. If there's a gamer in North America, they should have an eFuse portfolio. If you haven't you know, done so already, go to eFuse.gg, uh, make a portfolio, download the app. It's incredible what's going on. We've got a ton of content. I think we're one of the leading content producers. We work closely with a lot of the publishers to do it around their, <clears throat> some of their leagues. We profile a lot of industry leaders, coaches, players, industry veterans, you know, just people that, that we admire and a lot of other people admire. Uh, we host show matches. So we host uh, collegiate show matches featuring top teams each week. So kind of like an ESPN game of the week. And then mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm really passionate about is we host high school combines. So when we talk about getting discovered, how do you yeah. find that next talent? You know, how, how do these schools, these 200 plus schools that offer scholarships to athletes, how do they get discovered? And eFuse, I think right now is, is one of the primary outlets. If you're playing Fortnite or Rocket League or Overwatch or League of Legends, we host private combines every Sunday for you know, some of the top 15, 20, 25 programs to come out and scout the top 100, 200 talent. And they can watch them play in a closed setting for a couple of hours. And one of the things that um, we saw this year was Boise State picked up two or three or four of our athletes um, and actually signed them on National Signing Day to scholarships. And they never would have found those guys if it wasn't for EFUSE. So next year, that's a big initiative for us. We host power rankings uh, where we, we highlight the top teams and clubs and programs and students. And next year, we'd love to see a couple hundred of our students actually make it to the big show and go to uh, Power 5 programs on full scholarships because of what we created with our combines. We're talking to Neil Duffy. Chief Revenue Officer at eFuse here on the Game Show on Sportsnet 650. Neil, I confess I've been waiting for the right person to ask this question to for like two years, and I think I might have the right person. Uh, I thought I did before when I was prepping before I met you, but now I'm pretty sure I do have the right guy. Um, I remember a few years ago reading that for, for a long time, Yahoo, Amazon, early, early, you know, Silicon Valley dot com, quote unquote, dot com companies, uh, were spent a long time in their early lives losing money despite gobbling up massive market share. Um, and, and I think we're still at this point in esports where you can point to certain big numbers and say, look, it's a $2 billion industry with this much growth year over year or whatever. But it is also still kind of in that phase where the potential's there. There's lots of venture capital coming in, but not a lot of entities have quite nailed down how to consistently turn a profit. I'm sure you've thought about this before. 
what do you think propels the industry out of that phase and into the phase that e-commerce is in now where it's just a way of life? Well, that, that's a great question. And I think one that isn't asked enough because when you look at the astronomical sums that are flowing into the space and you look at the amount of businesses that are losing money month over month, quarter over <laughs> quarter, year over year, it's not sustainable. Nope. There's going to be major winners and there's going to be major losers along the way. And I think it's about looking at businesses that have strong fundamentals, that have a very concise business plan, that have an excellent management and leadership group, and that you can future forecast and plan and predict, you know, what direction they're going to head in. You know, I get pitched probably almost daily on businesses that have business models and, and forecasts um, that they say we're going to be the ABC or XYZ of the industry. And I, I think now after doing this for seven years, um, I've got a pretty good understanding of when a business has uh, a good business plan and when a business, you know, is, is you know, living in a dream world. I saw a business just the other day. I won't mention them by name, but they, they pitched me on a partnership and they, they were losing money, you know, not a, not a ton of money. They were losing you know, $300,000, $400,000 a year, something like that. And next year they wanted to flip that to be making, you know, $4 million. Well, that's quite possible. Uh, the year after that, it was like $12 million. And then the year after that, it was north of $70 million. And for context, to make $70 million would make you the most valuable esports business in the industry right now. So how's a little, yeah. a little stuff that is just getting their legs under them going to then be more valuable and drive more revenue than Team Liquid and FaZe Clan and 100 Thieves? And, you know, so a lot of the time, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. I think the businesses you know, that have invested early, you know, Amazon investing in 2014, buying Twitch for $970 million, that is probably one of the most undervalued purchases or acquisitions um, in the industry. And I think it's tough to say, you know, a billion dollars, how can you undervalue that? But when you think about Twitch, they own the consumer from, I don't know, let's call it 11 years old. So they, that consumer then goes and spends time on the platform daily. And the average Twitch user consumes about 100 minutes a day of Twitch content. That's a lot. That's an hour and mm -hmm. 40 minutes. So when Twitch can break that up and start serving you ads, offers, promos, commercials, from the time that you're 11 or 12 until the time that you then, you know, maybe go off to college at 18. And then from there, they've got seven years of data on you as a user, your behavior patterns, your spending habits, you know, those people that you follow, those people that, um, you know, you subscribe to and beyond. It's a fascinating model. And Jeff Bezos is absolutely genius. They're going to be a very important player for the rest of, you know, for, any, for the foreseeable future. I just think it's genius. Well, Amazon is probably my favorite bet of people that have invested early in the space. Microsoft mm. is better roll-ups. You know, I know they just tried to go and acquire uh, Discord. That didn't work out, but Microsoft is, is incredible too. Um, a lot of the major players that are doing roll-up strategies, Tencent, you know, if I'm an investor, I'm looking around at Tencent right now and, and you know, looking at my chops at the opportunity to own that business. They're gonna they're gonna be major players as the publishers, and um, for a long time to come. So, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's fascinating from the investment space. I follow it very closely. I've done a few M and A transactions. You know, I've been involved in the capital markets. I, I helped take the company public a few years ago, and you know, I really admire the guys at the gaming stadium, Spiro and and Guy from Pepper, and you know, what they're doing. 
I speak to them often and, you know, I look at their business model and, you know, their, their market cap isn't huge right now, but those are the kind of entrepreneurs I would bet on because they, they understand the space. They understand building intrinsic value. They understand creating a flywheel of success and they just bought a bunch of different businesses that make sense together. And when you can have the gaming stadium and you can have the platform. And most recently I saw that they just bought even Magic Gaming, which is Canada's you know, premier fighting game community and event mm-hmm. operator. Man, it makes sense. They can do Gamo East, they can do Gamo West. Um, they're just making all the right moves. So I really admire those guys. And um, you know, I, I, I like to talk to entrepreneurs who are looking at this with a 10-year window and not a one-year window of trying to make money, capitalize, monetize, and extract. You know, Spiro is the kind of guy I look at. He wants to do this and he wants to build a legacy and he wants to build, you know, a business that's going to be there for, you know, a generation. So it's, it's just cool to work with really great entrepreneurs. We are, uh, we are running out of time. I'm going to, I'm going to leave like four questions for next time, Neil. You know, I'm, we're just going to, we're just going to keep one in the chamber. We're going to keep four in the chamber, in fact, because I've got, because it's your first time on. I just like I started with the gamer tag question. I always end with the same five questions the first time somebody comes on. And uh, I, it's been a while since I had a first time guest. I get a lot of return, get a lot of return people. So I'd be remiss if I if I skipped this. So uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about the the impact of COVID on the industry. We'll talk about streaming numbers and stuff like that next time. But for now, let's get into the final five with Neil Duffy from Efuse. They're all personal questions. What's your favorite esport to play? A game that has an esports side that you like playing. Well, that's a that's a tough question because I've been playing a ton of PGA 2K recently. It's not necessarily an eSport, but I'd love to see it get there one day. Um, we've got something in the works right now where we hope to create some really good uh, um, PGA leagues or, or tournaments. I know Barstool has done some cool stuff. Um, so right now I'm going to have to say I'm going to have to say PGA 2K, but I love sitting back and watching uh, Counter Strike too, so that would be mm-hmm. that would be the one that that's my guilty pleasure. What's yeah? What's your? I think we, you just answered it, but number two in the final five. What's your favorite esport to watch? Uh, it might be Call of Duty, Call of Duty or Counter Strike. Mm. I, I just find them both you know really enjoyable, and um, you know I can get behind some of the teams that I support. I'm a big fan. I got to attend uh, the WSEG. World Electronic Sports Games hosted by Ali Alibaba in uh, in China a few years ago, and I was able to go and cheer on our conta- Canadian contingent, which our Canadian women's Counter Strike team uh, was just awesome. Uh, so uh, I think they came third overall. So I had a lot of fun. I watched a lot of Counter Strike. So either Counter Strike <laughs> or Call of Duty. Just as a gamer yourself, take the competitive side of it out. What's your favorite game of all time? No, oh, NHL '94, absolutely. The Classic old uh, wrap around, the wrap around one timer. Uh, you can't stop that. Luke Robitaille, Wayne Gretzky. Uh, um, yeah, those are great days, and that that brings me back to my childhood. I was, you know, ten years old at the time, or whatever it was, and you know, I could sit and play that game for for days. Um, so yeah, NHL '94 by far. The EA Sports '94, the 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 year they had in 1994. Wow, because Madden 94 and NHL 94 were, I think, the first two, maybe the first two video games I played ever. Right on. Yeah, that was, yeah. that's a great year to start playing games. Yeah, it was a good year for video and movies. Pulp Fiction came out that year. Great year, 94. Um, yeah, I was like six or six or seven, probably. 
Oh, that's a good answer. That's the. I mean, it's not the first time we've heard that answer, but it's the first time it's come up in a while. Um, what is the? Uh, what's the last game you played? Or the most? Let's say. Let's amend this. What's the most recently released game you played that you really loved? Well, probably MLB The Show. It just came out a few weeks ago. 21? Uh, yeah, 21. That's an awesome game. The graphics now are next level. Uh, I, I like to play as, as Vladdy Guerrero. Um, <laughs> just, I'm a huge Jays fan. And so MLB The Show, 21. I, uh, that, that game will eventually be the reason I get a PS5. Do it. But, yeah, you got to yeah. get that. It's, it's tough to track them down, but when you get it, you'll see that the, uh, uh, the graphics are just next level. It's kind of the last, kind of the last game that, that I love to play that they don't make for PC. Um, one day, one day I'll be able to play my, my road to the show on PC, but until then, I'll hey, well, you know where to find me. You got my gamer tag. <laughs> so make sure you, make sure you, you drop me the friend request and we'll, uh, I will. we'll play some when PGA one, and we'll play some MLB together. I've got a line on a, on a PS5. I'm just, I've got a buddy who got one. And he's just going to play the exclusives that he wants to play and can't play elsewhere. And then he's going to sell it to me. So I will eventually have a PS5. I'm not going to bother gotta, lining up. We got to get you some love from our friends at PlayStation Canada. We got to get them on the line and uh, yeah, and do an interview. That's this is this well, is prime good, time. This is a great show, and they've got to take care of the people that are leading the charge. <laughs> this is a good idea. I'll shoot them an email. Um, all right, last one in the final five with Neil Duffy from Efuse. Is there a game coming out soon that you're looking forward to playing? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I've been talking a ton of trash with my colleagues. They're, they're all American guys um, about Madden. So we're going to create an in-house office Madden league. We've got big, Super big uh, Ravens fans. So huge Lamar Jackson fans. And then we've got big uh, Cleveland, Cleveland Brown fans. So Baker Mayfield. And, you know, I got to give some love to Odell Beckham jr. He invested in our business in the last round. So, you know, by, uh, uh, by extension, I'm now a Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, we also got Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott invested in the last round, so I, I got to support the Cowboys too. But I think uh, I'm going to have to play a ton of Madden gearing up to Madden season, which drops in April – or sorry, August. Because um, I think uh, – I, I don't want to show up and be that Canadian who can't hold his own playing Madden against uh, my Ohio uh, colleagues. I we Me and my friends pulled off one of those Madden-connected leagues once. I think Madden uh, 2016. And uh, where we all just got the game at the same time, it all worked out. We all, everybody wanted to try it. It's really fun. If you, if you get, if you get, I guess, probably five to 30 people involved, um, those, those connected leagues are super fun. All right, Neil, we are out of time, but before we go on, get out of the way, clear the lane for you, clear the paint, let you promote yourself, your business, whatever you want to throw. This is your space. Go. Yeah, well, Max, really, uh, I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to to chat with me. I hope some of the listeners got some some value out of this. I hope they enjoyed, you know, the story. It's it's a certainly a non traditional path to being in the space and in the industry. And I hope, you know, for those folks who are who are trying to get into space, the thing I will say, you know, just find find a way to have great conversations with with business leaders that you look up to and admire, whether that's you know in BC, whether that's in Canada, or whether that's in the U.S. Use Twitter, use LinkedIn as your resource, uh, but most importantly, go to efuse.gg, download 
um, our app um, or, or get the web browser, make a profile, check it out. There's 600,000 people that, that rave about it. it. It will be kind of the next big social media within gaming and esports. And if you join now, you can still be an early adopter. Um, so we really appreciate the listeners and really appreciate you, Max. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much to Neil for joining me. Thanks to Spiro uh, personally on this one for helping set it up. Thank you to the Gaming Stadium for sponsoring the show as always. To Jay for recording it. Connor for helping to coordinate all that as usual. Head to thegamingstadium.com for uh, all the info you'll need to know about the Gaming Stadium. I'm your host, Max Sussman. You can find me on Twitter at trulyatbmax, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash maxbussman. Thank you for listening. And until next time, whatever you do, don't tilt.